Dan, I've known since 2009, uh, is when I first met Dan. And uh, he's been a mentor, uh, you know, and, and since a friend, um, but also like a mentor to many of my mentors. Um, Dan is a tremendous leader um, and he's got just incredible communication skills around making making things very simple uh, and easy to apply and understand that I really appreciate about Dan. I think you will too. And uh, the other thing that you'll know about Dan, especially those who have worked with him, is he's got he, he's got a, a a great sense of just like calm and composure about him. While he is passionate about what he does and the difference that he makes in the world, um, he's I mean just as even keel and stoic, you know, as they come through times of adversity and challenge and. Um, the company that he's been a part of for a long, long time, Dan has led them through some really tough times and times of transition uh, in powerful ways that I know they just, the, the, Dan, you've got a, a, a lease for as long <laughs> as you want to be where you're at, I think, uh, based on the incredible contributions you've had there. And uh, just want to say thank you for that. Thank you for all your contributions uh, in the world outside of your company as well. And we're very excited uh, to hear from you today. I'll be taking notes here as well. So Dan, passing it over to you. Thank you, Andrew. I really appreciate it. I appreciate being able to be here and share some insights with everybody. Um, I, I want to really uh, say kudos to Andrew and uh, Thad and Laura and team um, for offering this value add for the audience. Uh, I think it's such a great thing that you're all doing. Um, I'm not here today to teach you anything about property management per se. Uh, that's not my uh, expertise. Um, I do have an expert property manager as my next door neighbor. And I went over and I talked to him and I got a little bit of, you know, thoughts on, uh, you know, what are some of the experiences you have and challenges and this and that. Um, but uh, that's not what I'm here to talk about, of course. Uh, I do feel that what I will share with you, though, has a tremendous amount of crossover value uh, from work to life um, and throughout really any role, any career, um, both at work and at home. Um, I think that when people are uh, in the workplace, there are some common challenges that they experience. Uh, Andrew mentioned, um, you know, that uh, I've been working um, with a company that he worked with um, back when he was a little bit younger. Um, it's the marketing arm for Cutco Knives. We recruit a bunch of college students, tens of thousands of them uh, across the country every year. And um, we have this pretty giant organization um, that, uh, that is spread out all across the country. And so there's lots and lots and lots of people. And I have a chance to work and deal with a whole bunch of different types of personalities and uh, different situations, um, and uh, have had the chance to observe literally thousands and thousands of people in the workplace um, over the course of my 30 plus year career with the company. Um, and I, I feel that there are some, some basic challenges that a lot of people experience when they're at work. First off would be connecting with people who are different than we are. Um, this could be as simple as like the introvert extrovert dimension. I don't know if any of you have, have somebody that you work with, you know, maybe you're profoundly introverted and you have somebody you work with who's profoundly extroverted and, you know, you, you, you have a hard time interacting with them a lot of times because they're, they're taking all the wind out of the room and they're always doing the talking and they always want to engage with you. And sometimes you just want to uh, be alone and not be around them and not be around anybody really. Um, and so that can be a challenge sometimes. It's just uh, that sort of dimension in, in dealing with people, personality differences, uh, gender differences, right? I mean, just from male to female, there are differences in how we interact with each other and the things that we talk about and the things that we do. Cultural differences, of course, right? I work in a company that's very multicultural. And, and so there are, there are differences in that aspect that can sometimes be challenging to navigate. They're also fun to navigate those types of challenges, but those can sometimes create difficulty. Um, I also think about a, a challenge at work is like handling difference of opinion. Um, I, I had a meeting the last couple of days with, it was the first 
first live meeting I've had with my top like seven, uh, I guess what you would call like field generals uh, in my organization. And, um, and, you know, we talked a lot about how our company is evolving through this pandemic and where we're going in the future. And there, there are many divergent thoughts and opinions about where things will go. And, um, and sometimes when people have differing opinion, it can get heated on occasion. And that's something that people have to learn how to navigate is, is a difference opinion and like navigating conflict. Um, there are other challenges that work like time constraints, pressures, deadlines that we all have to deal with. You probably all have, you know, owners who are barking at you for one certain thing and tenants in particular who are, you know, feel like everything is always urgent uh, that, they have, that they have to deal with. And, uh, and then there are, of course, uh, just the challenge of other people's expectations would be something else that I feel like uh, people have to deal with as well. Um, I want to ask you guys to share with me in the chat box, if you can, what are some of the challenges you face in your work right now? What comes up as I was describing for you some of these different challenges that people face at work? What resonated for you? What are some of the challenges you face on a regular basis in the work that you're doing right now? If, if, you, if everybody could, um, could you guys make sure that people can use the chat box also, Alexandra? And um, yeah, just something as simple as collecting rent. <laughs> yes, exactly. Unrealistic goals. Yeah, people have different expectations, right? Um, Charlene says, my own expectations. Okay, that's an interesting one, right? Not enough time in the day, right? Carol says, right? Yeah, there's not enough time to do everything. There's only enough time to do what you prioritize as the most important things, right? Um, but uh, team members navigating the differences um, and, and how they deal with conflict, holding each other accountable. That's a great one. Accountability. That's an excellent one. I see a lot of good things coming in here. This is great. I think it's important for you to all identify what are some of these things that you are experiencing, right? Dealing with assistants and staff, expecting them to know it all, expecting them to do things as well as you, hiring staff, who to pick, right? How to train them, how to keep them. What about retaining? Retaining staff is certainly something that you have to be able to navigate and deal with. Um, what I have found is that, you know, in talking to my neighbor is a property manager, he's niched himself for high-end residential um, uh, rental properties in the Silicon Valley. So he told me, for example, like he doesn't even, he doesn't even look at anything that's not, doesn't rent for $5,000 a month. It's pretty crazy to think about that. Like what a great niche to be in. Um, he manages 170 properties. Uh, here in the general area of San Jose. Um, and, um, and, you know, we were talking about some of the challenges that, that he faces. And, and some of the things that you guys mentioned, uh, a part of it was resolving conflict between owners and tenants. A tenant wants something, the owner doesn't want to provide that something. Tenant has certain expectations, right? Um, that, that was certainly one of the, the conflicts. Um, leading and retaining staff, right, that he has to work with was another one of the challenges. Um, and, then, and then I also feel like uh, creating a culture uh, around who you are, around your team, that's something that I, I feel like all people have to learn to, uh, to deal with. Um, I see uh, Dylan and Anne asking me some, some uh, questions here. I, I will uh, get you that uh, Silicon Valley property management group. Um, and, um, and then also, uh, um, translating, I would say that this is another challenge that, that I've heard from people is translating success in work over to your personal life, right? Cause if all we're doing is we're succeeding at work and we're building a big business and we're making the income that we want to make, but it's not translating to our personal life, then why are we doing it? Right? I mean, ultimately we work to live, right? Not the other way around. And so it's important to be able to translate business success into our personal life. Uh, I'm going to screen share for you guys at this point. All right. So we just talked about some of these challenges that we face at work. And I think that we could all agree that effective communication is one of the most important skills 
that we could develop for our job that would help us to be able to do our job better and that would also be able to help us translate success that we're experiencing at work over to our personal life. And that's one of the main things that I want to talk about today. I want to share with you a philosophical statement that comes from a mentor of mine named Jim Rohn. And uh, Jim Rohn is sort of my favorite uh, old-time author, speaker, business philosopher, um, and he's somebody I've learned a ton from uh, that I feel like is a, is a, a great person for you to look into, um, you know, grabbing up some books and audios and videos and things like that. But uh, here's one of the things that Jim Rohn says. He says, things get better by change, not by chance. Things get better by change, not by chance. He also says, if you change, everything will change for you. Meaning if you grow, if you evolve, if you improve, if you get better, everything in your life gets better. Work gets better, personal life gets better. Everything improves when we change. And by change, I don't mean becoming some kind of different person or you know, completely radically transforming who you are. By change, what I mean is growth or evolution. It's this incremental improvement, a little bit better every day than you were the previous day, a little bit better every week, a lot better every year than you were the previous year. That sort of incremental constant improvement creates a dramatic and powerful result in our lives. And I guess this is what a lot of people would say I specialize in. If you were to ask people that work with me, my strength has been in developing others has been in helping people to identify what are the areas of opportunity that they have in their business or in their life? What are the things that they want to improve, the things they want to change? And then to be able to provide very simple, actionable steps that they can take to make strides in those areas on a consistent basis. And what I'll share with you today is nothing earth shattering. I think a lot of the things that I'll share, you should think to yourself, okay, I've heard that. Right? But then I also want you to ask yourself, but am I doing that? And am I doing that consistently? And how can I bring more energy around that concept on a consistent basis in my life? Um, you know, I want to start by asking you this question here is what level of success would you like to have in your work? Right? Think about that for a second. If, if, if we were doing a one to 10 scale, and I was asking, you know, if somebody was asking you about your work and what you do, and they said, well, what level of success would you want to have in your work, right? Not, not too many people will answer like, oh, I, I'm okay with like three. That's fine, right? Now, not everybody's going to say 10. Maybe for, for some people, 10 out of 10 might feel like they're working too much or too hard or something like that. Although I think you can have the 10 without, uh, with good methods, um, but most people are going to say, you know, a nine or a 10 or something pretty high on that question, right? How about in life? What level of success do you want in life? What quality of relationships do you want? What type of lifestyle do you want? What type of legacy do you want to leave? What type of impact do you want to have on others, right? Again, most people here are going to say, you know what? I want my impact in life to be 10 out of 10. I want my life to be a 10. I don't want a five or a three or a one? Well, the next question that you could think about is, well, then what level of ongoing growth and learning do you engage in? Because there's a great disconnect right here for so many people. So many people are going to say, I want a life that's a 10. But then when you say, well, what level of growth and learning are you engaging in to be able to create that life that's a 10? A lot of people are going to be like, oh, whoa. Um, well, it's not 10. And for a lot of people, this is where you're going to get the three or the two or the one, or you know what? I know people whose level of growth and learning is zero. There is no growth. There is no evolution. They're exactly the same now as they were five years ago or 10 years ago. So if you see yourself in that assessment, I say that all changes today right now. I hope that if I can inspire you with anything, it's that you can have everything you want in your business and you can have everything you want in your life if you can identify those things. And then you can begin identifying, well, what are my opportunities for learning and growth? And how can I get a little bit better every day?
there's so many directions I could have gone with this as far as concepts or ideas to share with you. And I feel like that in helping people bridge the gap between personal development and professional success, the subject of emotional intelligence is a cornerstone. Now, you've all heard about this uh, concept of EQ, right? It was popularized by a guy named Daniel Goleman many years ago and others. Uh, and Daniel Goleman defines EQ or he says what EQ is, is it's what really makes people successful. The things that really help us have the kind of lives and businesses that we want. And there are five sort of commonly accepted components of EQ, and they're listed here on the slide. By the way, I will get every slide that I put up today to Andrew so that uh, you guys can get this if you miss anything. So don't feel like you have to scramble um, here. Um, but also, you know, feel free if you feel, if, if note taking is something you like to do, I definitely encourage it. It does help you to uh, internalize material a lot better. So these are the five most commonly accepted components of EQ, self-awareness, personal motivation, self-regulation, empathy, and social communication skills. Here's how Goleman defines them uh, way back in the day when he started out this, con started popularizing this concept. Self-awareness is the ability to reflect on one's own life, grow in self-knowledge, and use that knowledge to improve oneself. As I put each of these five up, think about which one presents a great opportunity for you. Personal motivation is the vision, values, goals, hopes, and desires that make up one's priorities. Self-regulation is the ability to manage oneself towards achieving one's vision and values. Empathy is the ability to see how other people see and feel about things. And then social communication skills is defined as the ability to solve problems, produce creative solutions, resolve differences, and interact optimally with others. Where do you see opportunity on this list? I'd love for you all to type a one, two, three, or a five in the chat box and just uh, where do you see opportunity for yourself on that list of five categories? What, uh, what strikes you as an area of opportunity where you would want to grow you would want to learn, you would want to make strides in your life. I see five, four, two, four, five, four, one, three. Good. We got them all now. That's good. All five have been represented. Three and five, three, five, right? I think everybody should at least make sure you get something in here so that you begin to connect like, hey, this is an area that I can work on. I may or may not talk about the area you have on your list today, but I do think it's good for everybody to have some semblance of what is an area in which I can improve and grow that's gonna help me in my business and it's gonna help me in my life. What um, Jim Rohn also says, our emotions must be educated, not just our intellect. So often we work on growing our intellect. We want to be smarter. We want to know more. We want to be more skillful in our work. But it's so important to educate our emotions, to internalize concepts, ideas that help us to be able to have a greater level of emotional intelligence, of self-regulation, of composure, as Andrew described a little bit earlier today. We have to be able to do that. Um, I love to follow Ray Dalio. I would really recommend to all of you, if you don't follow Ray Dalio on social media, um, he's just a brilliant, brilliant guy that has so many great ideas. He wrote the book Principles. And um, he talks a lot about decision-making uh, in the book Principles and, and about the importance of removing emotion when you make decisions and why that's so important that a lot of bad decisions happen when people's emotions are clouded somehow. And I've also learned that it's really one thing to know something, but it's something entirely different to be able to act on that knowledge on a consistent basis. And this definitely requires having the knowledge, but also having awareness and having emotional control. It's so important to recognize the moments when you make decisions that are based on too much emotion. Here's a simple actionable idea you can take home for today. Just as a quick reminder, this is one you've all probably heard before, but again, do you do it, right? Learn to respond, not react. 
right? One of my favorite authors is Dushka Zapata, and she talks about the pause, P-A-U-S-E, pause, and learning to pause in moments where emotion is high. Learn to respond, not to react. So I want to address primarily today the fifth component of emotional intelligence, which was social communication skills. And again, this was how Daniel Goleman defined it, right? The ability to solve problems, produce creative solutions, resolve differences, and interact optimally with others. Now, you could take that and you could consider those four components because to solve problems, you need to increase your knowledge. You need to have more information about how to be able to solve those problems. You need to have more ideas if you want to solve problems. To produce creative solutions, I feel that you have to be interested in mutual benefit. You have to learn to think win-win and be able to find solutions that, that um, are uh, suitable for all parties whenever that's possible. To resolve differences, uh, you have to have an ability to communicate without edge or ego if you're going to resolve differences. Otherwise, people just dig in their heels, right? You could have the most persuasive, convincing, logical argument about something, but if it's communicated with the wrong tone, with edge, with ego, trying to humiliate someone into, into uh, conceding, right? They're just not, they're going to dig in their heels. We see this on social media all the time with people arguing the most inane things from one side to the other. And, you know, nobody's changing their mind because they're just communicating with too much edge and ego. I put in there, you got to realize that what's right is more important than who's right. I think that's an important life philosophy. And then I would also say as the fourth component there of uh, social communication skills is optimal interactions. And this requires trust. This requires connection. This requires a feeling about who you are that, that is developed um, when, pe when you're communicating with people. They have this impression of what type of person you are. There's a foundation of integrity that goes there. Um, there's a lot more than that that goes into it. So those things are all key elements of social communication skills. And these are all some of the things that I want to share with you and give you some insights on today. Uh, there's this old adage we've all heard before, and Maya Angelou is credited with this one, which is that people will forget what you said, they'll forget what you did, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. And so one idea I have for you to consider today is the idea that every interaction you have with another person in your work or in your personal life, every interaction you have with another person is a plus or a minus meaning you either added energy, gave them energy, added value, or you subtracted, you took away energy. Did you give them energy or did you take away energy? Every interaction is a plus or a minus. Consider the idea that there's no zeros, that every interaction is a plus or a minus. And I want you to think about maybe the last like three, four, five people that you've encountered. Who did you encounter today? already? Who have you talked to? Who did you encounter yesterday? Right? Who were the last few people that you encountered? And how do you feel those interactions went? Did you provide energy? Did you add value? Was it a plus interaction? Or was it a minus interaction? I do think that if people become conscious of this concept, they could become more aware of creating a plus interaction all the time. And oftentimes people ask me, how do you create a plus interaction when you disagree or debate or you're critiquing someone? How do you still leave them feeling positive? And there's a great lesson on this that I've shared with a lot of audiences that has been super well received that I wanted to share with you guys. And this applies directly to if you're working with staff and you're giving them feedback or the ways that you talk to uh, the owners and tenants that you deal with about different situations that come up where you have to offer feedback or insight on something that happens. This is also great for parenting kids, by the way, if you have little kids. Um, and the, the, uh, the idea here is called criticism versus the, the, the difference between criticism and constructive feedback. And there's four dimensions in this difference between criticism and constructive feedback. 
The first dimension is a past orientation versus a future orientation, all right? You're driving somewhere with your spouse and you guys make a wrong turn and, you know, the passenger turns to the driver and says, well, why didn't you just put it in the GPS? Well, you know what? We already just made the wrong turn. So who cares why I didn't just put in the GPS? That's over, right? That's not going to give anybody any energy. That's not going to be a constructive line of questioning. It's not going to help anyone. It's only going to be a negative situation and cause an argument, right? And that's probably a simple example that maybe you guys have all dealt with and something just in dealing with your spouse or significant other on a day-to-day -day basis. Some of the simple little things that happen. That's a past orientation. Why didn't you? Or you should have. Or anything along those lines is subtracting energy. Well, the difference in that would be, hey, next time we get in this situation, let's try this right? That is something that's going to be a more constructive way of presenting the same idea that's going to create a little bit more energy. Once something is done, it's done. We can't change what already happened. So why do we harp on what already happened? In interacting with others, we want to learn to use a future orientation in order to create more energy, create more motivation, create a better relationship. Now, the second dimension in criticism versus constructive feedback is a personal focus versus a behavior focus. A personal focus is where you attack the individual. Behavior focus is a lot more specific, but with a personal focus, right? You might say something like, gosh, you're just so clumsy, right? One of your kids, let's say, you know, drop something, right? God, you're just so clumsy. That's not going to contribute any energy. It's not going to help anything at all. It's a negative situation. Um, instead, you could use a behavior focus, right? Hey, here's what I noticed happened right there, right? And the next time you do that, why don't you try this, right? I, I relate a lot of these like to my kids because you think about like my kid drops a bowl and the bowl breaks, right? The bowl's already broken right? The kid's four. What am I going to do? Like yell at him for breaking a bowl when he's four? Some people do, right? But you're so clumsy. Ah, right? My mom used to always tell me, clean up your room, you pig. And I'd be like, and I'd go clean it up and then just mess it up the next day, right? Because I was a pig, right? Anyway, um, but instead of saying, you know, you're so clumsy, I, I might say, hey, you know what I noticed, right? You were moving a little too fast right there. Right? If you slow down, use two hands, right? you're probably not going to have that happen. So think about how you might be able to relate that in dealing with uh, employees or other people that you're working with. Personal focus versus behavior focus. Um, another way that personal focus versus behavior focus comes into play is when you hear somebody say, oh, you make me so fill in the blank. Oh, you make me so angry. Right? You make me so frustrated. Right? I got news for you. Nobody makes you anything. You make you frustrated or angry because of how you're choosing to respond to that situation. You can pause what we talked about before, respond, not react, and you can choose a different response. And you have to learn to be able to separate that and be able to, instead of saying, you make me so, I think it's great to be able to say, you know what? I don't like it when you, and promote a specific behavior. Or better yet would be, you know, I like it when you, and promote a positive behavior, right? So you're, you're focusing on the behavior, not on the person. That's another great key for interacting with others. Now, the third dimension of this lesson on criticism versus constructive feedback is simply about tone. It's negative tone versus a positive tone. And I don't have a whole lot to say about this except for be aware and listen. Listen to your tone of voice, listen to your volume, be aware of when you're communicating with an air of like sarcasm, um, you know, uh, or, or something that could, be uh, that, that could be perceived as being condescending because that doesn't work, right? It sends the wrong message and it pushes people away. Um, and then the fourth dimension of criticism versus constructive feedback is a problem orientation 
versus a solution orientation, right? Uh, An example of a problem orientation would be you're getting together with some coworkers to talk about something and you're like, oh, why does this always happen? Right? Why does this always happen? Why does this always happen to us? Right? Something like that. That's a problem orientation. You're, you're trying to identify, you're, tr- you're, you're asking yourself a question that's going to give you an answer that you don't really want. And instead, I think it's so important to be asking yourself solution-oriented questions, both in business and in life. What are some things we could do to improve? What are some ideas we have on overcoming this challenge? And asking yourself solution-oriented questions. I just think that in business and in life, I describe to people I work with what I call the imperative of being consistently positive. The imperative of being consistently positive. Now, this doesn't mean that you, you know, are never having a bad day or never having a difficulty or a challenge. Of course you are, right? But we're positive precisely because life is hard and we have challenges. And that bringing a positive energy to all the people around us is what creates a greater opportunity for success. And it it is an imperative with the people that I work with that they learn to bring that positive energy to others in everything that they do. This slide, if you want a screenshot, is one of my favorite lessons that I love to teach and share with others. This idea of criticism versus constructive feedback and those four dimensions and really thinking about how you can apply those four dimensions to your work and to your life. You know, I get to learn about this every single day from these two. All right. These are my kids, Dominic, little Dominic. He's four. Kiana, she's seven. Um, And any of you that have parents, you can totally relate right now to how much we learn in dealing with our kids, right? I think about things like, you know, the the tone, right? And the behavior and all that kind of stuff, like all the things that we try to say, right? Try this one out on your kids. Try this one out on your kids. Stop screaming. (laughs) What happens? They just scream more, right? It like sets them off completely. It just gets worse. It's a downhill slide right there, right? Um, And so it's so important to learn to to, uh, utilize these ideas. I want to share some more sort of actionable concepts that you can think about in the interactions that you're having on a day-to-day basis. Um, Here's an important one that I like to share. Be the first mover in a conflict situation. Right? You're probably dealing with conflict situations oftentimes between tenants and landlords, right? And you're the person that sort of has to bridge that gap. And what I mean by being the first mover is oftentimes the first mover is the first person to say what? To say, I'm sorry. And some of you might be thinking, well, what do I have to say I'm sorry about? Like, it's not my fault. Well, Can you be sorry that this is happening? Yes. Can you be sorry that we're in this situation? Yes. Right? Can you be sorry that this came up? Yes. Typically, the first person that says, hey, you know what? I'm really sorry that we're in this situation. I know this sucks. That that person is now going to be in a very strong position to be able to bridge the gap and or solve the problem. It takes a very strong person to do that, to be that first mover. There's a lot of conflicts that go on forever because nobody is willing to move, right? And as a mediator, which you often are as a property manager, it's so important to be able to be that first mover, I think it's important to remember that your objective is always more important than being right. You probably have had to remind a landlord about this every once in a while, right? Because when somebody buys a rental property, what is their objective? I'm going to theorize that the number one answer when somebody buys a rental property is that their objective, their number one objective is income, get rent, 
right? That's their number one objective. Make sure the place is rented, it's growing, it, it's, produ- it's producing income for them. And so if somebody is paying their rent and they're paying their rent on time, and maybe they're creating this little problem over here that like needles the landlord, right? There might be a time where it's, you have to make a change, but most often than not, you probably need to learn to get over that, right? And that your objective is more important than feeling like you're right about something small in particular. And that's one of the things that I think is really important, right? Objective is more important than being right, right? Imagine a situation where a landlord has to go through a lawsuit to prove they're right, right? And in the course of going through the lawsuit to prove they're right, they spend thousands or tens of thousands of dollars and lose significant amount of income or revenue, right? What good is that? That's not an uh, an ideal scenario, right? It's not something that we would want to get into. So it's important to be the first mover and just keep in mind that objective is more important than being right. Here's another actionable idea that I want to share with you. And and it's to always start by thinking win-win. Always start by thinking win-win. Whenever you're in in an interaction with someone else, um, start with this mentality uh, in mind. I know it's not always possible. I get it. There are just some situations where it's not going to happen. But effective communication, most of the time, involves all parties feeling good, not just one side, right? That's not effective communication. If you quote win, but the other person's pissed off, that was not an effective interaction. So life is not about us trying to win. It's about actually being interested in others' well-being. So when I read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People many, many years ago, one of the most important books I've ever read in my life, I always remembered one thing that Stephen Covey taught in that book, right? There's the question that he taught to ask people in a conflict situation. He said, hey, why don't we agree to communicate until we can find a solution that we both feel good about? Would you be willing to do that? Right? When the other person says, yes, I am willing, that's green light now to find a solution that everybody can agree to that works, right? And if somebody says no to that question, no, 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 I'm not interested in that, right? That to me is like a relationship in life that I might not want to be in, right? I want to have people around me who want win-win. I want to have people around me who are thinking, yeah, you, you know, we can work on this. We can make this happen. I'm willing to work with you we'll find a solution that we can both feel good about. For you guys, it's really the triple win, right? As Andrew has shared, right? The, the, uh, the, the team, the owners, and the residents, right? All being successful. And I'm not so naive to think that win-win is always possible, but we can at least handle conflict with more grace. And, and on that note, I would share this actionable idea with you to think about is to learn to communicate with passion, but not with ego. This is so hard because we all want to be right. We all, you know, we don't want to like let somebody else take advantage of us or feel like, you know, they got the better of us. But if you keep in mind that previous statement I made that objective is more important than being right, you'll learn to communicate with less ego. I think it's just better to keep emotions out of your communication unless the time is right, because heated communication seldom works very well. There is a time and a place for heated communication, but it's not very often. And so how do you, how do you get good at all this stuff, right? This is all stuff that I love teaching and sharing with groups that I work with. Sometimes we'll have a meeting where we're, you know, sitting around a table or these days sitting on a Zoom screen and we just start discussing these things and we talk about, you know, hey, this situation came up. How would you have handled it? You know, I feel like I blew it today in this one. And we have these great conversations that help us move the needle on how we handle social communication, on how we handle emotional regulation, all of those types of concepts. How do you get better? How do you get good at it? I think awareness is one way you get good at it, 
right? Develop this ability to sort of see your life as if it's a camera in the corner of the room. Develop that ability. Replay situations in your life as, it's a, as, if, if, as if you're looking from a camera in the corner of the room and you're seeing, this is what happened. This is what I did, right? How did that work? And just start to develop this awareness. When I was very young, uh, somebody uh, was giving a speech and they, they said, I got a tip for you on being successful in life. Do more of what works and do less of what doesn't. And I remember writing that down. I'm like 18 years old. I might've been 17 years old. I remember writing that down and I was like, oh my God, that's like mind blowing to think about that. Do more of what works, do less of what doesn't, right? Well, awareness is how you begin to do that, right? Develop that ability to look at your own life and say, how did that work? How did I do? Study is another way that you get better at a lot of this stuff. Right? I've given you a few resources and I'll give you a few more uh, before I wrap up today that you can take advantage of to learn some of these different types of concepts. That will help you. Practice is another one. Right? Some of the different little actionable ideas I shared with you, just sort of practice those things. Practice the pause, responding instead of reacting. Practice that, the pause. Practice some of the other ideas. And repetition is a big key to how you get good at anything is it takes time. Don't expect to be a master of communicating and interacting with others in a single day. It's a process that you follow. Most of you are probably pretty good at it already, and you're on the road to becoming better and better and better in ways that will help you in business and in life. And then I've got one other way that you can get good at all this stuff that I really want to encourage you to ponder, and it's feedback from others. Feedback is one of the greatest tools that we can have in our life, and it's one of the most unused tools in the toolbox for almost everyone. And this probably does include the majority of you here today. So I am talking straight to everybody here right now when I share this idea about feedback. We have to learn to receive feedback as a tool for growth. And I also wanna say to you this, don't expect others to be as eloquent at providing feedback as I have shared with you how to do here today, right? The ideas about the dimensions, like other people in your life are gonna mess that up. They're gonna come at you with a negative tone. They're gonna attack, right? And you're gonna wanna like give them the finger half the time. Well, that's not gonna help you to learn and to develop your awareness, right? So don't expect others to be so good at giving you feedback in a way that makes sense. Regardless of how it comes at you, it is still a tremendous opportunity for you. It's important to change how you receive feedback. Ray Dalio, um, I saw this on, his so on uh, one of his social media accounts recently, where he said the most meaningful relationships are achieved when you and others can speak openly to each other about everything that's important, learn together, and understand the need to hold each other accountable to be as excellent as you can be. When you have such relationships with those you work with, you pull each other through challenging times. At the same time, sharing challenging work draws you closer and strengthens your relationships. This self-reinforcing cycle creates the success that allows you to pursue more and more ambitious goals. Think about the way most people receive feedback from others. They get defensive, they push back, they might even turn it around on the other person, right? Well, think about this. What if this morning when you were getting ready and you, you were, you were you know, coming out to your Zoom meeting where you're gonna have your camera on and be engaged and stuff and people are gonna see your face and everything. What if somebody you live with said, hey, you know what, you've got something in your hair, you got like a string in your hair. Would you say, well, shoot, your shirt doesn't even match your pants. No, you wouldn't, right? You would have said, well, hey, thank you. Th oh, thanks. I appreciate that. Thank you, right? We say thank you. They told you something about you that you didn't know, and now you're glad you know. And you say, thank you. That's great. I appreciate that. I really want to encourage you to take that approach anytime you get feedback from somebody else. Just learn to say, hey. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. I appreciate you being willing to say that. 
even when you disagree with the feedback, right? Hey, thank you for, for letting me know, right? I appreciate that. Just do that. And what you do when you do that is you keep the doors open for more feedback. And the next time somebody tells you something about yourself, it might literally change your life. But when you're defensive, which oftentimes we all are, or you push back, it, it really takes a lot of energy for someone to summon up to like give you feedback, right? Like it's it actually, they're doing you some a real service when somebody gives feedback to you. They don't, it really communicates that they care if they're saying anything. And so accepting it gracefully is an important way to be able to get a lot better insight about yourself and grow your awareness. Um, Adam Grant is a very famous organizational psychologist. I love following this guy as well. And he, he suggests that we should all build what he calls a challenge network. A challenge network are a group of thoughtful critics that we trust to point out flaws in our thinking and our strategies a group of thoughtful critics that we trust to point out flaws in our thinking and our strategies. In order to create this opening in our lives, we have to invite it. And I know you've had Susan Scott as a guest here uh, on your, in one of these um, Zoom meetings, right? And, and she talks about in, in fierce conversations, have the courage to interrogate reality, right? Asking someone, hey, how are you feeling about this? How are you feeling about how I'm doing? in this area, right? You're working with a landlord, right? How do you feel about how I'm doing representing you, right? Um, ask the question and interrogate reality. You're working with tenants. Ask that question in your relationships at home. Ask that question to find out what the answer is, right? Some of you are like, well, what if the answer is not good? Well, wouldn't you rather know now when you can impact it rather than when the um, owner decides they're not going to work with you anymore. Think about that, right? What, what am I doing that you'd like me to do less of is another great question that relates to this. What am I doing that you'd like me to do more of is another great question that relates to this. These are things you could be asking your landlords, your owners, right? And then in, in working with tenants, there are similar questions that you could construct that would help you be able to work with them as well. All of these ideas provide an opportunity for us to evolve and grow as humans. The last thing I wanna say is that the most powerful element of communication is simply who you are. Everybody has an impression of what kind of person you are. And just think about how that gets crafted, right? There's a, a phrase that who you are speaks so loudly, I cannot hear what you say. And that's a very powerful insight to ponder today. I think if, if you want to become the kind of person that other people want to listen to, want to do business with, and want to be around, it's important that you're somebody who produces and does well at what you do, that you're good at your work, you're competent, you're hardworking, you're successful, you're efficient. I think it's important to be somebody who does what you say you'll do, who keeps commitments, don't ever overcommit yourself and then have to not honor it or really try to avoid having that happen. And I think it's important to be somebody who cares, who shows people through your actions that you're interested in their welfare as well as your own. I feel like property management has been a, really a transactional kind of business um, out there in the world. And that second nature is attempting to move it towards more of a relationship-oriented type of business. All of you are on this call because that's what you want. And that's awesome that you can become the kind of property manager that uh, owners love having and that tenants love dealing with. That's a very powerful position to be in. I've got a few resources to share with you here. And then I think Andrew is going to take you into some uh, discussions. Um, I have a podcast. You can find it at changinglivespodcast.com. Um, I did an episode with John, Gor John Gordon, who's the author of The Energy Bus. Um, and that's a really cool one on creating positive energy in the workplace. By the way, on changinglivespodcast.com, there's a search bar. You can just type the name of the guest and the episode will pop up. So, because there's 200 something episodes on there. So, John Gordon, 
Um, I referenced Dushka Zapata, one of my favorite authors. If you don't follow Dushka Zapata, run, don't walk to follow her on whatever social media you are on, uh, Instagram, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn. She writes every single day. Uh, she was the number one writer in the world on Quora for a number of years. Her stuff is, her posts on Quora have been viewed like almost 200 million times. Uh, she's brilliant and amazing. Um, Benjamin Hardy is another great one I want to share with you. Uh, and his is on the topic of evolving your personality that, you know, if you've ever been that kind of person that said, you know, I, well, I'm just like this, like, that's just who I am, I'm, you know, and you're stuck in a certain way of thinking and being, you can break out of that. And, uh, and he shares that. And then um, I did a solo episode on a book called The Four Agreements, which I think is one of the greatest little mini life lessons that are so simple and actionable um, that I would highly recommend to all of you as well. Those are a few resources here. I would love to hear what concepts from today can be immediately applied to your work. I don't know, Andrew, if you're going to take over with that one and get everybody sharing, but I would love to get some feedback from you about what of the various concepts I shared with you today do you feel like could be applicable or relevant to what you do. Um, and then you can also uh, connect with me if you want at uh, dancassetta.com. Feel free to connect with me there or on any other social media that you might want to, uh, to uh, be connected to me on. I, I would uh, appreciate having you as a connection. That's all for this episode of The Triple Win. Thanks go out to Carol Housel and Jeff Tucker for everything they do to put these episodes together. And we want to remind everyone that you can find more resources, upcoming events, a link to our private Facebook group where the conversation continues in between these episodes with other professional property managers. All of that you can find at rbp.secondnature.com. Again, that's rbp.secondnature.com. And until next time, keep transforming what it means to be in professional property management by finding and applying your next triple win. We want it to be true that every time we see you, we see a better version of you and your business. With that, cheers. <laughs>